we've been in this little series uh, entitled Relationships 101, and we've been talking about doing the basics of relationships well, and and we're going to continue on in this series at least for a few more weeks because there's some important information that you have to have. Now, we don't always have to know everything about everything. There are certain things that you don't need to know, like what is the capital of Delaware? Anybody here know what the capital of Delaware is, by the way? What's that? Wilmington. What? What? Dover. I didn't, I didn't know that. In fact, I so didn't care about the answer to that question. I didn't even Google it before I came knowing I was going to ask the question. You guys are amazing, but just in, and I don't want to offend any of you if you're geography teachers, but you don't really need to know that. Um, uh, and so there's certain things we just, we don't care. We don't need to know. Um, and if you know, if you knew the answer to that question, <laughs> I don't know, I don't get it. Uh, now there are certain things though you, that are really important, but you still don't necessarily need to know them because there are certain things available to us like the internet and dictionaries and whatever that let us know what we need to know when we need to know it. And then we have experts out there that can fix what needs fixing whenever whatever needs fixing needs fixing. You, you don't have to know everything about everything all the time. That's kind of how my relationship is with my truck. I know how to drive it. I know I've got to take it in to get the oil changed every once in a while. But I'm not a mechanic. I don't want to learn to be a mechanic. I, I just want to invest my time doing other things. And that's okay. I'm okay with that because there are certain things out there that let me know what I need to know when I need to know them. And I actually brought one of those things with me today. I got this little little device. It's called Fixed, F-I-X-D, in case anybody's interesting, interested. It's the, it's the same spelling as Fixed without the E, just F-I-X-D. And uh, it's a little sensor that you can plug into your onboard diagnostics 2 port that every car has that's come out since 1996. You just plug it in there. And it will communicate with your phone via a Bluetooth, and it will tell you exactly what's wrong, if anything is ever wrong, with your engine. And so when that check engine light comes on, you're probably like I've been, maybe, I tend to just see the check engine light, and then I'll drive it for a month and see if it's still on later kind of thing. And Because I, do, I don't know what it means, and apparently, I've been told, that the check engine light means it could be one of about 7,000 different things. Some of them are barely worth noting, and some of them, they're kind of emergency-level situations. And the reason I got this little device is I saw that my, one, it's not my check engine light, another light was on. I didn't know, didn't know what the light meant. And I just ignored it for about three weeks because it seemed like my truck was doing just fine. So if it seems like it's fine, it's probably fine, and I'm just going to ignore the thing. And then I thought, well, you know what, maybe I ought to take it into a mechanic. And it's like 100 bucks just to get the thing diagnosed, and I don't want to wait for an hour then them tell me something that's a do-it-yourself level event in my truck. So I got this little device for me and for Shelby, and, and I was going to get one for Gina and Nathan, but their cars are newer. And then after we got these, Gina got really upset, and because I'm doing this series on relationships, I thought I'm going to buy her one too to stay out of hot water, at least till the series is over. Uh, so anyways, I got this, plugged it in, and you know what it told me? It told me that the light on my, on my dashboard meant that there was low pressure 
in my tires. So I went to the gas station and I fixed it myself. Real man, you know, it's how mechanics do it. And then, uh, then I left, and, and basically then I came back, and then, no, there was a nail in the tire, and it was flat when I got back. But anyways, uh, the point is, you don't have to know everything about everything, because you've got things that tell you what you need to know when you need to know it, and you've got experts that can fix things that need fixing when they need fixing. But wouldn't it be great if we could have one of these for people? Just take the little sensor and plug it into their onboard diagnostic port of their soul and maybe into you. And then they would tell you not only what needs fixing, but these things also tell you how much it costs. What's the investment going to be? And so then you kind of go, well, is he worth it or is she worth it? And, and, uh, and if I had one of these, then you could say to the other person, I knew it was your fault. You know, I knew it was all you. You know, isn't that great? wouldn't it be great to have one of these things? But the reality is we don't have one of these things for people. And what that means is, well, I guess I need to be kind of a relational expert, at least to a certain degree. I I need to be my own mechanic for these relationships. I I guess when it comes to unimportant things, ignorance is a legitimate option. You you, You can be ignorant about certain things, get away with it. And even if it's important to know about your truck, you can still be ignorant because other people fix it. But when it comes to your relationships with people, there are certain things that you have to know. Because if you don't know them, it, it will really hurt you. And we've been talking about those kinds of things. That if you don't know the things that we've been talking about, they, they will legitimately hurt you. So we've been in the series for three weeks. This is the fourth week. And... Uh, Three weeks ago, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we started talking about the foundational truths that everybody has to know concerning relationships. And let me just kind of summarize these for you. First of all, there is a best way and several less than best ways to do relationships. Uh, Number two, doing relationships well is the uh, most important thing. If you want to do life well, doing relationships well is what life's all about. The key, number three, the key ingredient to doing relationships well is love. But then we also saw that doing relationships well does not come naturally to people. And so we need more than a mechanic. We need more than an instructor. We need an instructor who will do more than an instructor. We need an instructor who will actually take us by the hand. And the good news is that you have and I have a God who didn't just reveal to us certain truths. He made himself personally available to us, which you would expect since the Bible says that God is love. And so two weeks ago, we started talking about this reality that God is love. And what does that mean? And we saw really, really importantly that it does not mean that love is God. And it does not mean that the only definition for God is love. What, what it means, and we saw this two weeks ago, is the more you and I get to know God personally, as God has revealed himself through Christ in the Bible that points to Christ the better we understand love. And that's important because, again, the key to doing relationships well, which is the key to doing life well, is love. And then we talked some more about how God has plainly revealed himself in the person of Christ. And so if you're saying, I want to be more capable of doing relationships, well, then you're going to take seriously getting into the Word. You're going to take seriously studying the Bible and looking at the apostles and the prophets who point to Jesus Christ because This is how God showed his love for us. 
This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So he didn't just show us, he gave us himself. God didn't just tell us about love. He didn't even just show us about love or make it clear to us. He personally involved himself in our lives. He's not just the teacher. He is the divine lover of your soul, which means his point is for you and for me to do our lives in and through him because he personally is available to you as your father and in Jesus as your older brother and as the Holy Spirit as God who indwells you being the very temple of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, about how Jesus is love and the nature of love is to be more interested in giving love in relationships and taking love. And if you're going to be an actual giver of love, then you need to receive personally this love and and have his ongoing love living in and through your life. That's the only way it's going to work. And we talked a little bit more last week just about what a game changer it is that God has personally made himself available to us because this world's not all this there is. If you didn't have God to relate to, you'd have to start relating to people as God, and that's what people oftentimes do. And we talked about this. We talked about materialism, the world being that this material world is all there is, and that would be terrible because if we didn't have a God and this is all there was, we'd have to relate to people not for who they are but who they're not. And that's what people do a lot of times. They'll relate to people as the ultimate source of meaning in their life or the ultimate hope for satisfaction for their souls, and people will always disappoint. You will despair if that's the track you're going down because only God can bear the weight and and pressure of being God. So we see this all the time, people crushing other people, and the reality is there is a God who created this whole world, and he has said in the Son that you matter more than the whole world to him. And that's a game changer. It, it, it really is. And we ended on this high note last week of John saying, you know, how great is the love the Father's lavished on us that we would be called children of God, and that's what we are. And, and we saw that this Jewish idiomatic expression is best translated as another idiom. God's love for us is out of this world that we would be called his children. And when it hits you, That he loves you the way that he loves you and has made it clear and has made himself personally present and has given you hope and is enabling you to love other people the same way that he loves them as people who are intrinsically valuable so you can give and give and give and know that you're not wasting anything because the people around you are worth the love that you give to them. When all of this hits you and that you've been loved like this in a way that you don't deserve, it radically reshapes your outlook and changes and impacts all of the relationships around you. And we thought of it in terms of pitching. Like if you're thinking about pitching a baseball, your your stance needs to be right toward God and toward the world. And when you go from standing all out of whack to really getting it and standing right, you're in a position because of the love of God to throw good relationships to everybody around you, whether they're your friends or your family, your spouse, your children, doesn't matter. Now, if you've missed the last three weeks, I've just basically kind of caught you up to speed. But there's one big question that I've actually been asked. It's a big question I know is there, but I've had at least three people say this to me over the course of the last 10 days. And the question or the concern is this. Okay, Ernest, I'm a Christian. I know God loves me. I'm a believer, but something's not clicking. I mean, I look at John, and John is just, you know, he's so elated. He is shouting, almost crying for joy. He's not just telling us we need to to be in fellowship with God. He's showing us 
that he is in fellowship with God. He is beholding the love of God. And he's almost crying out, you know, this is so fantastic. You know, behold, the, lo- the love, see the love that the Father's lavished on us that we'd be called his children. And, and it looks like John's heart is going radioactive. But that's just not happening for me. Now, I'm a believer, okay? But this isn't, this isn't just, it's just not happening. I'm not feeling it. And so, Ernest, here's, here's what I need. I don't want to just know about God's love. I want to behold it. I don't want to just, you know, believe. I want to, I want to behold. I don't want to just be convinced of it. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. And so what am I missing? How do I get from here to over here? And I go to conferences and I'll come to church and it seems like everybody else is excited and the conference speaker, well, you know, God loves you and what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't fix myself. John, in 1 John, gives us some real practical direction to get from just being convinced to being changed, to simply knowing about the love of God, to having the love actually transform you. That's a major concern. Let's address it. Let's go ahead and stand for the reading of 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself, even as, just as He is pure. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Now, it's interesting, the word that's used here, lavished, is a word that literally means to make an into a present or to bestow on someone as in an event. It's, it's almost like before you're married, you may have loved this person and showed love to this person and you were in love with this person, but there comes a moment where you basically gather up all of your love and, and you take all that love and you bestow it on them in front of family and friends and before all the authorities in heaven and on earth. It's an event. You, you bestow it. You've held nothing back. You've taken it all up and you've given it. There's nothing else to give. What this text means is, among other things, being a Christian isn't just receiving, in a general sense, God's love. Like, I know he created me and it's a fair weather day and I feel so blessed. I just got a new job and a pay raise and things are going good. And no, no, no. Being a Christian is actually passing a certain point. It's, It's... It's crossing a certain bridge. It's not just being loved in a general sense, but it's actually having received in a serious way all of the love that God has bestowed on you in Christ. So whether you come to this point gradually and slowly or quickly and violently, it doesn't matter. Now, for some of you, your stories of coming to Christ to this point, they're, they're kind of violent. It's almost like a pickaxe going through a wall. It was sudden and bam! And for some of you, your story is more along the lines of a plant that grew and grew and grew over three or four seasons, and then one day there was an ear of corn on it. So whether it was a slow and gradual process that brought you to a point, or a quick and sudden, violent, unexpected process that brought you to a point, 
Everybody comes to a point where they cross over from generally being loved. Like It's like crossing over from being in God's heart, wanting to adopt you, to you actually signing the adoption papers. It's moving from generally being loved to becoming the bride of Christ or part of the bride of Christ. There comes a moment when you receive it. It's bestowed on you. You got it. And when you get it, it should transform you. And we see this with John here. See, John's not just telling us, you need to be in fellowship. You need to have his love. No, he's, he's showing us. This is why he's saying, behold, what manner of love is this? The love that the Father's lavished on us. See that you're a child. And it's not just that you've been called his child. You've become his child. He's put his nature in you. And then, Paul, and then John's he's just really getting worked up here. He's put his nature in you. And you're going to be like Jesus. You're going to be transformed in the very image of, of Jesus Christ, your big brother that's firstborn among many. And in fact... When he appears, we'll be like him. And he gets off onto this point where he's saying, you know, this is so good. If you have this hope in you, this hope purifies you even as he is pure. And what he's meaning is if you're seeing all this, if you're getting all this, this ought to be purifying your life. This ought to be like a fire that burns away everything in you that doesn't belong because this is fantastic to be loved in this way. And you're saying, you know, that's what I want. I need that. And if you're saying, I need that, you're right. Because effective living, it all comes down to effective loving. And I was just, I did my uh, aunt's, my oldest aunt's funeral on my dad's side. Her, her, I did her service Thursday. Went up there Wednesday, came back Thursday night. It was a pretty quick trip, and it was a fantastic service. And it's always good to have good material. Because my Aunt Maggie, I mean, she was, okay, this isn't the service. But I'm just saying, between us, she was a commander-in-chief. You know, if heaven is anything like a banquet, as the Bible seems to express, then as soon as Maggie got up there, she started telling people where to sit. Okay, that's just kind of my Aunt Maggie. And we all laughed and knew this, but the reality is we all knew that she loved us. And it wasn't about her acquisitions. It wasn't about, you know, even the, the things that she did in terms of, you know, property acquisition and managing things and business it, the, the reality is we all came together and we celebrated the fact that she loved us and we recognized that she had a life that was well lived because she loved us and an effective life comes down to loving well. But if you're going to love well, you need to have received that love that is pure and that purifies you and it changes your life and you know this. So you're saying, how do I get this? How do I get in on this? How does it go radioactive in my life? Because with John, it's obvious that... The love of God is electrifying his heart like a bolt of lightning electrifies a lightning rod. And some of you, you, you just you want that so bad that you don't know how to get there. John gives us some real practical direction actually in the book of 1 John. It's easy to miss, but it's there. It's over in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. I want to read this. In fact, you know, let's stretch and stand uh, for the reading once again. Out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his word. We're going to read this. I'll make ten minutes of comments and then we'll move straight into communion. But here's what John says. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Now, he's not saying we know him if we obey his commands, like I can earn my salvation. If I work really hard and be really good, then I can know him and have fellowship with him. No, it's we know that we know him. That's different than we know him if. 
We're talking about a confidence. We're talking about an assurance. We're talking about an experience of knowing Him. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. You've probably seen these movies where you've got the double agents, and even if one side knows they're a double agent, if you're a double agent, sometimes you kind of get lost. Am I with these people? Am I with these people? I was reading about one famous actor who said the problem with being an actor is you lose your mind. It's you, you go schizophrenic. You don't know who you are anymore. And so if you're not living consistent with who you are, yeah, your identity gets all trashed. But look what it says in verse 5. But if anyone obeys his word, God love, God's love is truly made complete in him. It's not this and this. It's just whole, complete. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, here's what John's talking about. He's talking about a confident assurance of knowing. He's talking about an assurance that you are in fellowship with God. Again, let's read verse 3. He says, we know that we've come to know him if, and again, verse 5, this is how we know we are in him. John's talking about, he's not talking about how to know him. He's not talking about how to get in with him, not how to fellowship with him. The way we know him is he made himself known through the Son, Jesus Christ, and we receive the grace that he has given us. That's how we know him. He made himself known. He revealed himself. He went the distance. How, how do we love him? Well, we love him because he first loved us. He descended to where we are, and he served us the way that he did. He poured out his love unto us, and we just simply receive it. The way you know his love is you receive his love. The way you have fellowship with him is he extended the fellowship to you over his Son. But we're not talking about knowing him. We're not talking about fellowshipping him with him. We're talking about knowing that we know him. We're talking about knowing that we have fellowship with him, and that's different. We're talking about assurance. We're talking about the experience of this, and that's a little different. And there are obstacles. There are things that constrain or cut off to a certain degree the experience of his love and the knowledge of his fellowship. So if you want to know that you know him, if you want to know that you're in him, if you want to feel all of this in your mind, in your heart, in every fiber of your being, there are certain things that you can do. There are certain things that we can address. Let's put it to you like this. you got a married couple. They've bestowed their love on one another. Now their status is solid. They're married. They're walking along a street, and one turns to the other, puts their arms around the other person's neck, pulls them in tight, looks into their eyes, says, I love you, and gives them a big fat kiss on the mouth. In that moment, they are not more married than they were an hour ago or 10 minutes ago or 30 seconds ago. Their status did not change, whether they were walking close together or, or ha- are living in two different states. Their status is they're married. 
But in that experience of the arms around the neck and the kiss on the mouth and the looking in each other's eyes and the expression of love, in that moment, the experience of their status of marriage goes through the roof. Nothing's changed but the experience, but the experience kind of changes everything, doesn't it? Well, it's the same thing here. We're not talking about your status as a child. What we're talking about in this text is the experience of your childship. And there are certain things that we do or certain ruts that we get into that are obstacles to experiencing the knowledge of Him where we know He loves us, but it just doesn't seem like it's making any difference in my life. Why is that the case sometimes? John points to three things, and these are so practical. They're so practical that if you pay attention to them, you can actually remedy these situations in your life now and start moving to a place where you'd like to be but aren't currently. So here are the obstacles to profoundly experiencing fellowship with God. One is a bad conscience. Two, lack of healthy fellowship in the family. And number three, inadequate gospel saturation. We'll go to all of these. Number one, a bad conscience. Is your conscience clear? Because if you're disobeying God and you know there are areas where you're disobeying God, that is a, a, a real hindrance to experiencing his fellowship in your life, to, to knowing experientially his love. Look at the first few verses here, verse 3 through 6. Let's read it again. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. If you're not obeying his commands, the assurance of your knowledge of him goes through the floorboard. Well, Christians don't do this. No, they don't. Well, you know, am I saved? I can't tell you how easy it is to get people to doubt their salvation, and I'm going to get you to get born again again. And, and so when I was a kid, I got born again again six times. You know why that was? Because I was living in disobedience in those moments. And I was having somebody help me to doubt that I received his love by grace and faith alone. So in those moments, I was disobeying. I totally didn't feel in fellowship with him. That didn't mean I wasn't his child. It just means I didn't feel like his child at all. Why? Disobedience. I wasn't walking as Christ was walking. It's not that complicated. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar and the truth's not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So are you doing things that, that are violating your conscience? Are you walking as Jesus did? Are you obeying? Are you growing? In, in, in discernible, accountable ways, are, is your character changing? Are you walking as Jesus did? Are you making progress here? Well, start listening to your conscience. Start doing what you know you need to do. It's not that complicated. It's really not. Start. Well, I know, you know, I, you know, Ernest, but yeah, that's going to be really hard because, you know, I'm doing, I've been doing this for so long or I've just been disobedient in this for 10 years. And okay, if you just want to go on throughout your life, not knowing that you know him, if you want to have a distant relationship with your father, I guess that's an option. I think it's terrible. I counsel with people every once in a while, and they have a strained relationship, not just with a spouse, but with a mom or with a dad or with a child. And it's painful to watch. This child's still the parent's child. This parent's still the child's parent. 
And they haven't talked to each other in years. I just, you know, this happens when you go to funerals. I get there and I see, oh, you know, these people, they haven't talked in 25 years. And they're brothers. Their brothership hasn't changed. They've just chosen certain things that has created distance. So they feel closer to people that they're not even related to, that they've barely met, than people who are flesh and blood family. That's not how it's supposed to be. Change it. You can do that. Don't wimp out. Well, you know, I don't tithe. Or I'm living with this person. Or I have these bad habits. And I know that. I... Stop it. it. You're going to get in. You're going to have no confidence. There's going to be no joy of your salvation. His love's not going to make any difference in your life as long as you're staying distant from it. It's like being married and choosing never to hold hands and never to kiss. That's crazy. There's something else that John brings up here, and, and that is the lack of healthy fellowship in the family. You see this pretty clearly in verses 7 through 11. It comes in other places in 1 John. But here's the, the reality. You need to be in fellowship with the other children of the same father. I mean, as an individual Christian... Your relationship with your father is going to be more robust as you're in relationship with other people in the family who are also in relation with the father. You know your father better in the context of family. So the question is, are you in relationship with people? Now, this was one that kind of hit me personally this last week because I was thinking, okay, here's what happens for me. I I think I have a tendency to be a, a lone ranger wanderer. That's part of it. And then you go through these seasons where you're a burned believer. So you put burned believer together with Lone Ranger Wanderer, and you're just not real prone to be real invested in the lives of other children around you. I can tell you why some of these kids hadn't seen or talked to other kids, other brothers or sisters for the longest time. Somewhere at some point they decided that they got burned and they'd had enough. So they cut things off. Well, you cut things off with your family around you, and it is going to impact your relationship with your father. So are you praying with and for other believers? Are you in tight community with some Christians around you? Are you encouraging them and being encouraged by them? Are you building them up and being built up by them? Are you in family? Some of us, we need to get into a Sunday school class or a small group discipleship group. For me, it was as simple as, you know, I really feel like I need to be in one of these covenant groups. Not just me and Gina going over the same material, but to be in a group with some other men once a week, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, don't know yet, we just got in one. We're reading the Bible and praying for one another in community. You need this. There's another thing, though, that John points out, and it's not just bad conscience. It's not just lack of family connection. There's a a third thing, and we just put it like this, inadequate gospel separation. Put simply, are you taking the gospel and screwing it down into every aspect or arena of your life? Are you coming to a point where you're rejoicing more and more in the gospel Or are you one of these people that you're just thinking, you know, if I have to sing Amazing Grace one more time, I think I've had it. Are you seeing everything through the gospel? Are you taking the gospel and screwing it down into your life? Here in this particular passage, I think the way John puts it is is this, walking in the light. Now, it's clear from this text that walking in the light is not just 
obedience. It is that, but it's more. And it's not just loving other brothers or living in family with other people. It is that, but it's more. Walking in the light is living as if and thinking as if you're in a whole other kingdom, a whole other realm than the realm or the domain of darkness because that's the reality that God has brought you into through his gospel. You go over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, and it talks about how he has removed us from the domain of darkness. I think we've got that up there. Rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. What that means is up there is coming down here. Jesus prays this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you become a Christian, you get translated into this whole other kingdom. You're not just a part of this of this closed system, this little world that is passing away, and this is all that is, and it's just dark, and it's going to to hell on a handbasket. No, no, wait, wait. It's just it's just passing away. You're not a part of that anymore. You're living in the light. And that means you're thinking things along the lines of the gospel, and the gospel is empowering to live your, live your life the way that you're doing. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, the Apostle Paul talks about it like this. He says that we ought to be living our lives in line with the gospel. And what that means is the gospel informs and empowers every aspect of our lives. There is a straight path that's going straight out of the gospel. So day in and day out, am I thinking about my relationship with God through the gospel, my relationship with other people through the gospel? Am I seeing my issues and my concerns and my anxieties or depression or whatever the case is? Is it all being seen through the gospel? Am I living in the light of this kingdom the same way a plant is trying to absorb light as if its life depends on it because it is? Are you soaking in the gospel into your life like a sponge soaks in water? You can't be... Well, you know, I come to church pretty consistently. I mean, at least a couple of times a week and a couple of times a month. I don't really have a devotional life. I don't really give it much thought. I don't really see my family through the light of the gospel. And I guess I'm just 24-7 in the world except, you know, for an hour, maybe two, on Sunday every once in a while. That's not soaking in the gospel. That's not taking it and screwing it down into your life. These are just very, very practical things. You say, well, I just don't, I'm not feeling my childship the way that I should. Well, of course not. There are certain constraints. There are certain constrictions on enjoying God's fellowship in your life. You're married, but you haven't been holding hands. You haven't been kissing. You haven't been saying I love to each other. You're not even talking. Doesn't mean you're not married. Doesn't mean you're not born again. It's entirely possible for you to be born again and sensing distance and lack of passion. But for John, who's living in community and he's obeying the word, and he's soaking in the gospel. He gets to this point where he's talking. I get emotional. He gets to this point where he's talking about his childship and the fact that he's adopted. But it's not just that he's been brought into the family. The father has invested his whole nature in us. And he's given us the nature of the son. And we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And eventually we will be just like him when he appears. And that's all by his grace. He says, this thought purifies me. Even as Jesus is pure, the love of God has obviously gone radioactive in his life. Don't you want this? Well, let's remedy the problem here. So you very well may be born again. I don't want to give comfort to those who need to be disturbed, but I don't want to disturb those who, are, who need comfort. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you say, it's all him, none of me. I've received his grace by faith, and that is it. Listen, you're a believer. I'm not wanting to cause you to doubt that. But until you get to this point in your life where 
is love goes radioactive in you, everything else isn't going to come together for you the way that it needs to. This, this morning, as I invite the, the deacons forward for a time of offering, a time of uh, communion observation, as we remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, I want to invite you, just right where you are, just to bow your head and pray to the Lord, just the two of you. We're going to observe communion together, but this is what I want to be going on in your mind as you're observing, as you're remembering the price that Jesus paid, not just to change your status, but to know you intimately. To put his arms around your neck, to draw you close, to give you a kiss on the face. As we remember what was done for us, that we would be in intimacy, I want you just to ask the Lord, Lord, where is it that I need to adjust so as for my heart to be on fire with your love, to be purified even as he is already pure? Lord, am I being disobedient in some arena? Lord, if that's the case, if my conscience is not clear, give me the sanity to, to adjust, to stop what I'm doing, to start a new path. God, grant me the gift of repentance in this area. So Holy Spirit, show me. Am, am I being disobedient? And Father, am I needing to connect more sincerely thoroughly, authentically in fellowship? Do I need to be in a small group or class? And if I'm not, and how and where? And like I need to be in a covenant group. But am I praying for, praying with other believers on a consistent basis? Lord, give me the courage to get past my Lone Ranger wanderings or my burned believerness of 10, 20 years ago, in some cases longer. Get connected. And Lord, have I been essentially shallow toward the gospel? Comfortable to live in the shadows, but on occasion to step in the light, rather than simply walking all day and all night in the light. Living as if I've been transferred into another kingdom because I have been seeing everything and being empowered in all things through the gospel. Or do I need to make adjustments in my devotional life? Do I just need to start one? Lord, thank you for forgiving me my shortcomings. Thank you, Lord, for relating to me on the basis, not of what I do or don't do, but on what your Son has done for me. Thank you for that grace. But Lord, help me also to take full advantage of the love that has been fully bestowed on me, fully engaging with that love, that I would be the kind of believer that relates and relates well to all the people you've placed in my life, to your glory. Father, now as we have prepared our hearts for the communion observation, Father, help us to remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed and why. It wasn't just to give a new standing. It was to enable us to have eternal life, not just a long life, but a different quality of life because you chose through your Son to live within us and with us, empower 
teaching us to love, empowering us to love, transforming us into the image of your Son. Lord, you wanted to draw close and for us to draw close to you in a way that electrifies us. Lord, as we remember why you did what you did, may your, may your love not only be understood, but may we stand under it in a way that transforms us. Be with us now as we remember. Help us to remember well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.